I was thinking this morning, oh, I think this every Sunday before I got to preach. You'd think by now you'd be used to doing something after all these years of doing this, but I get nervous every, every week, every time I preach anywhere, there's this nervousness that gets in me. And, but I think that's right because uh, I'm not really trusting on myself a whole bunch here, to be honest with you. <laughs> and I think God, you know, uh, I believe there's nothing, you know, I'm just totally on board with the Lord that He's going to bless no matter what, in spite of kind of thing, right? I mean, that's sort of my thought. God blesses, will bless, bless in spite of me. <laughs> but I feel like there's always, there's, there's no time in my life that I ever feel like, oh, 100%, you know, there's no such thing. I don't believe in the kingdom. It's always depend on the Lord. It's always lean on the Lord and always know that you need God. I don't care if you've been doing something a thousand years or a thousand times. If you can just continue in your heart, lean on the Lord. Because what really qualifies people is this, is you're unqualified. That qualifies you for the anointing. And as long as you can stay unqualified in your heart in that sense... You're qualif- God will qualify you by anointing you. And so many times God asks us to do things that we, don't, we feel like, I can't do this, I'm not qualified to do it, I don't, I don't know how to do this. But really that's God's invitation to you. He's inviting you into something because He wants to anoint you. And you can be really good at anything, but if you don't have no anointing on you to do it, tag on, it's going to be terrible, right? Who wants that? I sure don't. We can get a, find a good radio or internet preacher that's anointed and listen to that. <laughs> All righty, thank you, Lord. Anyways, yes, Lord. So let me just introduce this and tell you a few things. Uh, I'm going to talk about the book of Ruth this morning. Praise the Lord. One of these days we will be not talking about that book. But one thing I figured out in the book of Ruth is the book of Ruth, um, you know, every person... Every character in the in the book is important, and I believe that you know Boaz is a type of Christ in the book, and I think that's really what the book is trying to communicate to us is a picture of who Christ is and what His heart is like, and how we can engage Christ and how we as believers can get to know Christ. Um, and there's this there's and I've shared some of this. There's these what I call steps to intimacy with Christ, where, where you look in the book and you find these places that Boaz shows up. And in each place he shows up, God, in the form of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is going to show up in your life one day in those places. He's going to invite you into those places. And so, you know, the first one, obviously, is the harvest field. That's where he's at. That's where we all first meet Christ. We meet him in the harvest field. And that's an awesome place, and I want to I'll get back to that in just a second. Another place is the, the threshing floor. That doesn't sound so awesome. And to be honest with you, it's, it doesn't feel awesome when you're at that place. It don't seem awesome. But it, it, it can be one of the most awesome places in your life. And then the third place will be at the city gates, which is really a vital place. And the last place is you find Ruth and Boaz married, having a child. And the child turned out to be the great-grand, not the great-grand, but the grandfather of King David. That's powerful, isn't it? Uh, what you find in the Bible uh, is interesting, is the Bible really tries to communicate to us God, who He is, what He's like. And the, so, so in the New Testament, you have the Gospels. You have four different Gospels, okay? There's one Gospel, four accounts of those. 
Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them try to bring something out about him. They try to reveal his nature because no one story can tell the whole story. No one account can tell the whole story. So God chose to narrow it down to four. Matthew being this. And, and what you'll find in heaven right now, there is a creature up there. I've talked about these creatures before. These creatures up there that reveal the Gospels. It's a creature that has four faces. Right? It has a face of a lion. That's Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew is about the king. That's what it's about. If you study that book, in fact, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, think up front, God is trying to reveal himself as the king. If you study the genealogy of Matthew, it traces the genealogy back to Abraham and David. Okay, that's where it traces it back. It doesn't trace it back to Adam. It traces it back to, to, to Abraham and David. They, in Israel's eyes, that was the royalty. And you find the word uh, kingdom in the, in the book of Matthew 50 times, or 52, I think it's 50 times. Kingdom of heaven, 32 times. And kingdom of heaven is found in none of the other gospels, only in the gospel of Matthew. So that's really some of the, and there's a lot more, but that's just a little bit. Gospel of Mark Gospel of Mark is represented by the oxen, which is the great servant, the great powerful servant. Okay? And you find this in the Gospel of Mark. You don't find a whole lot of Jesus' teachings and sayings, but you find a lot of his mighty works. That's, that's really, because that's what an ox represents. It represents work, it represents power. Are y'all following this? Then uh, the Gospel of Luke, this is interesting about the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke goes into a lot of detail on the Christmas story because this represents Jesus as the Son of Man. And the, and the uh, genealogy in Luke is traced all the way back to Adam, Jesus as, a, as the Son of Man. And, and so they want, what they're trying, God's trying to do is get us to know Him as the Son of Man. Get us to know Him you know, as the servant, as a powerful servant. Get us to know Him as the King. Okay, and then finally, the Gospel of John get us to know him as the Son of God, as the spiritual Son of God. And so that's really what the Gospels really try to do. So in heaven, there's these four creatures, or these, this creature with these four faces, just trying to demonstrate to us that God is not someone that can be known easily. In, in other words, God's not one-dimensional. He has many parts to him. And over our lifetime, God wants to reveal himself to us and show us himself in different ways. Okay, and as awesome as that sound is, it can really make you stumble in life. You can stumble when God begins to reveal another side to him. Okay, because the God you thought you knew suddenly is not the God that you're knowing at that moment. And that's what one of the things that book, the book of Ruth does in these four places where Boaz shows up is to try to show us some different aspects of the Lord. So when we find ourselves in those situations, we won't be, we may, it won't rescue us. Hopefully it won't rescue us, but it, maybe it'll rescue our thoughts. Maybe it will bring some comfort to us. Are y'all following this? Um, one of the things in the book of Ruth that I believe, and I believe it's really important, is I believe Naomi represents Israel. I believe that's who she is because Ruth is, was a Gentile. I believe Ruth represents us Gentile believers. And so you find this story of this woman who was married, this woman who was beautiful, this woman who had it all together, and the next thing you know she loses everything. And she becomes a bitter woman. And that's a picture of Israel. They're like a bitter people living in religion. But she has one thing going for her. She has this beautiful daughter-in-law who didn't forsake her. 
okay, a beautiful daughter-in-law named Ruth, who I believe is really a picture of the church, who will never, there'll be a part of the church that will forsake Israel. That's a mistake. That is a big mistake. Because we're forsaking something that biblically we should not mistake, forsake. So what Ruth does is she sticks with this woman when this woman had nothing to offer. In fact, this woman was a liability. Okay? And so, but Ruth stuck with her. And at the end of the book, you see that Ruth did something for Naomi. Ruth did something for Naomi. Ruth restored Naomi. And I believe that God is going to use the body of Christ to restore Israel to their rightful place. I believe there's going to be something that's going to be birthed in the body of Christ at some period, I don't know when, that's going to restore Israel. Because they said, they said that Ruth has restored you. They, they, she's made you young again. And I believe that's the truth of the thing. And I really do. And I believe that's one of the ways when you read the book of Ruth, if you could keep that in your heart, to see there's a great picture in this book that God is trying to bring us into something greater than where we're at right now. Anyways, thank you, Lord. That's just the truth, I believe. All right, let me go through this right quick, these things, these four places. I know I've talked about this. Y'all are probably sick of it. I'm not sick of it. <laughs> but like, as first is the harvest field. It's Ruth 2.8, it says, Then Bo, it's Ruth winds up, gets up. Let me just put the background here. Ruth gets up one day. She's living with this bitter old woman, this old dried-up bitter woman. And she gets up and says, I'm not going to live this way. And that's really what God's going to put in the body of Christ one of these days. We're going to get up and we're going to say, we are not going to live this way. We are not going to languish in poverty. We're not going to sit here and die destitute. And if people can say that's the prosperity gospel or whatever they want to, I just say it is the gospel. And God is calling the people who are willing to say, I'm going to get up from where I am. I'm not going to sit here and I'm going to find favor because favor belongs to me. And that's what she said. I'm going to find the field to go to that there's a man out there somewhere that will have favor on me and I'm going to find that place and I'm going to enter that place. And I'm going to live in that place. So that's what she did. She went out and she found it says she just happened into Boaz field. Well, she happened into it because she's spoken into being. And God really wants to teach us how to speak things into being. He really does. Because that's how Jesus did it, right? The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. He spoke the kingdom into being. It was with his words that he spoke things and made things happen. We haven't learned how to do that yet, really. We're trying. We're trying a lot. We're failing a lot. But we're trying. We're trying. We're speaking at things, and sometimes they speak back to us and slap us around, <laughs> knock us down like, huh, that didn't work. We better figure out how to do this better. But we're going we're gonna to figure it out one day. Hey, let me tell you this. This is what I believe. I was telling Becky about this during worship. I was remembering something that happened. Uh, it was a little over a year ago. I started having this, this vision. I started seeing a cube. Y'all know what a cube is, right? If you don't, go to geometry class. <laughs> It wasn't a Rubik's cube. It was just I was seeing a cube. I couldn't figure it out. Oh, I came up with all kinds of explanations for what a cube is. And so finally I gave up because I felt like none of these explanations. And I called, this is when Bob Jones was still alive. So I met, talked to him about it. I said, hey, Bob, I've been seeing this, this cube. What does it mean? Oh, immediately he starts telling me what the cube means. 
And he said, that's a Rubik's Cube, that's what you're seeing. And that has to do with youth. The youth are going to solve this thing for us. That's what he said. They're going to solve this thing for us. And I'm thinking, Dag, how did you get that out of that? I wonder. You know, I mean, I wasn't thinking about no youth or no solving anything. You know, I was kind of wondering about that. You know, well, that sounds good. And he explained some, some things about the Rubik's Cube and the youth and some contest. I mean, he went through this long explanation with him. But, and it sounded good, but I was thinking, eh, it didn't sound like what I was thinking. I was thinking something more for me. You know? <laughs> so I was back here at the church. I think it may have been that same day. And me and Matthew and Marlon were sitting out there. And they, I had been telling them about this cube. And tell them about my, all my false interpretations of it. <laughs> and I was telling them about the cube. <laughs> I was telling them about There it is. I was telling them about the cube. And, the, and this is no kid. In the middle of me telling about the cube, the front door opens. And Mr. Daniel Baker walks in the door with what in his hand? Spinning around. Just right here. I'm a, solving the <laughs> Rubik's kid. Those guys can solve that thing like you wouldn't believe. But I believe the Lord was, I believe that's the Lord. And I was remembering that this morning. I believe the Lord is saying to that generation that they're going to bring some solutions. That we've been looking for, we've been crying out for, we've been trying for. They're going to begin to bring those solutions. They're going to, be, they're going to solve some things for us. They're going to solve this speaking thing. They're going to solve this revival thing. They're going to solve some things for the body of Christ. I believe that. I believe y'all are going to do it. You're going to do it. Just you've got to believe that. You've got to do it. You had that thing. And I just wanted to say that this morning because I really believe that. And I'm holding out for it because as of yet, my generation didn't do it. But I believe there's a generation coming that's going to solve some things. They're going to bring some things. And I'm going to tell you that. And the, and the world will pay attention when they start. start. Anyways, thank you, Lord. Isn't the Lord good? Anyway, so she winds up in this harvest field, and Ruth 2, 8, Lord, help me. You, and, and this, is, this is what Boaz said to her. This is the first place he shows up. You will listen, my daughter. I've said this over and over. That's the turning point of the book. Is that's the first time anybody besides Naomi said, called her something besides a Moabite. And if you remember, a Moabite was a sexual pervert. That's, that's how that whole nation was born. It was born, let me say this, it was born out of incest between Lot and one of his daughters. That's where Moab came from. And that's where she came from. She was that kind of person. Not allowed into the congregation of Israel for generations. So she shows up and he says, who is this? And they say, it's the Moabite. Which was a derogatory thing. And what does he say? You will listen, my daughter. He accepted her into the family. And and called her to come. Come into my field, my daughter. Come and be with me. Be a part of my family. That was the invitation. And and it tells us that she found comfort there. She found refreshment there. She found provision there. That's what it will tell you in Ruth chapter 2 if you read it. Every one of those things. So that's a picture of what happens to us as believers. We find the Lord and we will never, listen, listen, you never quit knowing Him like that. You're always going to find times in your life where you're going to need comfort where you're going to need refreshing, and where you're going to need provision. I don't care who you are or how long you've walked with the Lord, He's going to allow that to happen in your life. So don't think you're graduating from that place. You're not graduating. If you graduate from that place, you've graduated out the door. You know, you're done. You're always going to need that. He'll bring us back at different seasons of our life. But here's the key. 
She didn't live there. The last verse in, in chapter 2, it says she would go home at night. And see, that is not just the relationship God wants to have with us. And a lot of people, that's what the relationship we have with the Lord. He meets our needs. He blesses us. He refreshes us. He touches us. But we leave. And you find this really big time when the Lord really moves powerfully like in revival times. As soon as the move of the Lord's over with, a lot of people forsake. They're gone. Why are they gone? Because they only knew him as somebody who met their needs and refreshed them. And when he started saying, well, I want to do something else now, they pull away from him. It's tragedy, really. I think it's tragic. It's heartbreaking to see that happen with people. I would encourage you, don't be one of those people. You know, somehow in your heart, don't be one of those people. Anyways, are y'all good? The next place is the threshing floor. Like I say, that's not a, that's not a pleasant sounding place. In, in Ruth 3, 1 through 3, it says, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you? And see, that's the heart of the Lord for every believer. He wants to take us somewhere beyond just meeting our needs, just blessing us, just touching us. He wants something more. He wants something more out of the relationship. Because you will never get the security you need just being blessed, just being touched. It, I'm telling you, it will, you'll never get it. It'll never happen for you. There's something God wants to do deep down inside of you that takes something more than what you're going to find just knowing Him in the harvest field arena, just knowing Him in church on Sunday morning, or just knowing Him in your social circle. There's something more God has for every person. Okay? Every person. So He calls us. He's going to call you. There's going to come a time in your life. He's going to call you to the threshing floor. Okay? You may not be aware of it. But when you get there, you're going to be aware something ain't working here. In fact, you are going to be thinking, this ain't good. This is really bad. In fact, God has forsaken me. That's the way it kind of felt for me. But she said, I want to seek security for you that it may be well with you. That's the heart. Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, the Lord, whose people of God that you have been with, just put it in those terms, okay, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Everybody say tonight. Tonight. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garments and go down to the threshing floor. Go to, everybody say go down. Because that's what happens. Go down at night. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Well, this is what happens. Is God will set you up. And there will be a time in your life when the people around you, whoever those people may be, the people that you love, the people you fellowship with, the people you commune with, the people that encourage you, the people that speak into your life, there's going to come a time when God is going to not allow that to be something in your life that's meaningful to you. In other words, there has been people that have been in trouble in their life and wanted to talk to me, and I have felt like the Lord said to me, it would be best that you did not get involved in this. Why? Because there's something going on in their life between them and God. Not between them and me and God. Them, you and God. 
There comes a time, you see, in the harvest field, everybody's around. Boaz is around with everybody. But there comes a time when he says, listen, this, this is going to get down to just me and you now. Me and you. And there's nothing anybody can say, there's nothing anybody can do that's going to help this thing or change this thing for you. That's what happens at the threshing floor. It's, it's you and God. And see, God wants to bring us into that place. And usually that it's at night or it's in darkness and it's in a low place in your life. It's usually that's when it happens. Are you all right? Yeah. It's not fun. In the Bible, there are several prominent threshing floors. Because the th- and each one of them, and they give us, they give us insight. Like Gideon was at a wine press that he turned into a threshing floor because he was ate up with fear. And it says the angel of the Lord appeared to him there and said to this, mighty man of God, mighty valiant, valiant man of God. And Gideon was astounded that this being was saying that to him because he was so scared. That's why he was threshing the wheat or the barley up there in the wine press because the wine press was hidden away where a thresh, threshing floor he might be more out in the open. He was afraid. And see, what happens with a lot of people, see, that's an encounter. That's an encounter. See, he, they were at a bad place. The whole nation was at a very bad place. And God appeared to this man and said something to him that was different than everything that was going on in his life. And see, that's what happens at the threshing floors. God begins to speak to us about stuff that's different in our lives, that's going on around our lives. But see, you're, it's, it's not with everybody else. It's just God having to tell you this. And then David had also had a very powerful encounter at a, at a threshing floor. There was this plague that hit Israel. People were dying. In fact, David sort of got involved. He was sort of involved in the cause of the plague by numbering Israel, and it released this angel of destruction. People don't think God's crazy. I mean, they were killing people. These angels were killing people. Yeah, about 70,000. And then the Lord looked at Jerusalem. They was fixing to head to Jerusalem. I mean, these angels were headed to Jerusalem. They we're going to wipe them out. And the Lord looked at Jerusalem and didn't want to destroy it. Isn't that an amazing thought? <laughs> it was just his heart. See, everybody thinks about how bad God was. I'm thinking about how awesome God was. He was so nice not to do that. And David said, Lord, they didn't do anything. I did it. Why are they suffering? Why are they suffering? And David made a sacrifice there. He had to buy a threshing floor. And so to me, it speaks also in our lives when we come into that place that God will do a deliverance in our life, a powerful deliverance. That's one of the things that happens to the threshing floor. The other thing that happens to the threshing floor was this, this time when David was uh, carrying the ark back into Jerusalem. Y'all know this story. Many of you know he had it on a cart. And he was just as happy as a pig in, in mud. He was rejoicing. Everything was good. They had won. They had the ark of God, which meant the presence of God. And they were hauling it into Jerusalem. It was a party. And there was a man there named Uzzah. U-Z-Z-A. And Uzzah, you know, the cart, it says the stupid oxen stumbled. You know? And the ark was about to fall on the ground. And Uzzah went up and put his hand to steady the ark. And guess what happened to Uzzah? God killed him right there on the spot. 
killed him. I mean, he, I can imagine an explosion went off, and there he was, body parts slung from here to yonder. The people were near him, had a leg hanging off of him, blood. I mean, and David got scared and said, there ain't nobody. That's when he sent the, sent the, uh, and he sent the ark over to uh, Obed-Edom's house for a few months. But here's the truth. That happened at the threshing floor. And the word Uzzah means strength. That's what his name meant. This is what I think that means. I think this. It's a place where your mind and your strength gets broken. That's what I think a threshing floor does. It's where we come to a place where we realize we can't do. We can't do this thing that God's called us to do. You know, it's, it's like one person said is, it, with Uzzah, you put your hand to do something God's doing, and something's going to give, and it ain't God. Because God ain't going to allow us to put our strength to what He's doing. He wants us, it's, it's a revelation of grace. And everybody I know that has a real revelation of grace, a real one, I'm not talking about a theological one, they got in a bad spot. They got it when they were broken on the inside and realized, I can't do this. When they really realize, I just can't do it. I can't even be a good Christian. That's where you get a real revelation of grace. It's when you're down where you realize, there ain't nothing in me that can do this. Only, only Christ in me can do this. And so those are some, some pictures. I wrote down some things about the threshing floor, like with roofs. It, this, it's, it's where you get to the real you because they separate. Threshing is separating the hull, the outer hull of the grain from the kernel, the real thing. That's what happens in a threshing floor. And so it's, a, it's when we get down to the real the, to the real in us, the real you, the real what's really going on. Forget all the other stuff, all the layers and layers of junk we go through and get down to what's really real in your heart, who you really are as a person. And that's really what happened with Ruth. Uh, you know, that term, the dark night of the soul, is a good term, even though it's not a biblical term. It really is a dark night of the soul where you and God encounter each other where you meet God just you and him in a dark place okay that's what the threshing floor where you meet God in the dark and there's nobody around you that can help you there's nobody around you that can say a word to help you or do anything to get you out of this point you and I have to go to the threshing floor God invites us there to encounter us to, to shift our life, to give us a new direction, to give us a new dream, to give us a new vision, to give us an anointing, to give us something we really carry. That's what happens there. But it's a, it's a difficult spot to be. Like I said earlier, because God begins to reveal himself differently. Boaz was one guy out there in the field with everybody else, but at the threshing floor, if you read it, he acted completely different. Completely different. And it's confounding to us when God begins to show himself and act different in your life. Suddenly all the things that used to work in your life suddenly quit working. God doesn't seem to be interested in helping you make them work. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When you find yourself in that state, it's a good chance that God has invited you to experience him at the threshing floor. Well, there's something he wants to do for you. Something where he wants to hear something from you. I can remember my first threshing floor experience. I mean, it was literally 
way, way, way out in the country, all by myself at the dark night. And I went, and I don't know, I, all I did is I wanted to get away. I wanted to get somewhere alone where I could be absolutely alone with God and where there would be nobody around. And I could have this confrontation with God because that's what it felt to me. That there needed to be a confrontation because something wasn't working in my life. The God I knew, suddenly I didn't know. And I had to figure it out. I had to find out something. I had to get a hold of him or him get a hold of me. I knew something had to give in my life. That's where I was at. So I went way out there. And I shook my fist at God in the middle of the night and cried out to God. And that's when he spoke to me. He didn't do anything profound. He just told me, you don't really know me. And you're going to spend the rest of your life getting to know me. Because my face is like a diamond, that's what he told me. I have many faces to me, Byron, and you only know one part of me. You really don't know me. That's what he said to me. And I can't explain it to this day, but I left there satisfied in my heart. Not My circumstances didn't change. My questions weren't answered. But I went away from there satisfied in my heart. And this is what I went away from there, is I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting to know this God who's got more to him than I realized. And I'm willing to find out him, discover him, and know him in different ways with my life. And I will do that for the rest of my life. That was, that was my thing. Well, that was in 1980 that that happened to me. 1980, that was a long time ago, right? 35 years. Yep. Yes, sir. 35 years. Number one goal, getting to know this great God. You know, Becky and I were talking this past week. And I had this epiphany. Y'all know what an epiphany is? It's a fancy word for a revelation. <laughs> That's all it is. People use that word. It's just revelation. But they use it, you know, philosophical and poetic people like fancy words. Well, well it's just a dang revelation. Come on. This is it. Suddenly you get this enlightenment. And I got this sudden epiphany, this enlightenment about myself. And this is what the epiphany was. I have spent 35 years of my life, for the most part... Really, that was my goal, Lord, to know you, to really know you. And I'm 35 years down the road, I don't feel like I know you. I really don't. I don't feel like I know you, Lord. Now, here's the awesome thing about that moment. I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel like a failure. I didn't feel like God, yeah, you blew it, boy, 28 years ago. Or actually, 34 Years and 11 months and three weeks and four, six, six days is when you blew it. You just went home and blew it. He didn't say that to me. This is what he felt me. Forgetting. Forgetting. That's what Paul said. What lies behind. Not that I've already attained anything. That's what came to my heart. Not that I've already attained. But forgetting all. And pressing into the upward call of God in Christ. That I might lay hold of what I've been laid hold of for. And when I, when I thought, I thought, yeah, that's it. I'm good. I'm, you know, the Holy Spirit's happy. You know, he's happy. That's what he wants us to do. No matter what your past is. You know,
you know, like I probably just said, but, you know, you realize at the threshing floor there's so much more to him than you know. And there's still a lot more to God than I know. I have more questions than I have answers. I have questions I don't even know if I have questions yet about God, about God and about how He works and what He does. I, I don't really understand, you know, God. I think in heaven we will be finding out God, about God for all eternity, forever and ever. I think we'll be discovering things about Him. I don't think when we get there we'll know everything. I think Paul said his ways are past finding out. They're past finding out. And when we have a God like that, there's, we're going to have mystery. We're going to have questions. We're going to have things that happen in our life that can't be explained. And a lot of people get to the threshing floor and because things can't be explained, they become offended. They become offended. They become offended at God. They become offended at other people. And God is saying, no, that's not what this is for. What I'm trying to get you to say to me, I'm trying to get you to say what's in your heart to me, to say to me that I want you. I want to go with you. I want to go further with you. I want to be with you. Because that's what Ruth did. She said, I want you. I don't want you just in the harvest field. I want you. Now that could be religious, but at the threshing floor, there ain't no religion going on, I promise you. Everything gets down. When we can, You can say, oh, I want the Lord in the middle of worship. But man, when you're in a dark place, when God ain't helping you and God ain't doing what you think He should do, that's a hard place to say, I really want you. I want this relationship. And that's what Ruth did. She said, I want you. I want you, Boaz. I don't just want your fields, but I do know I'm going to get the fields because the fields come with you. Are y'all following this? One of the great things about the threshing floor is this. He's, you know, talked to her and said, okay, you need to go home now when it gets light. Sneak out of here before it gets light so nobody will see that you was here. We don't want to tell anybody about this secret encounter. You know, there's secret encounters that you're just going to have to just go on with. But he said, oh, yeah, but here he gave her a bunch of, bunch of food to take home with her. Yeah, and I think this is the truth about the threshing floor. I don't care what you do there. Whatever decision you make, one way it really doesn't, he's going to bless you there. He's going to give to you there. You're not going to leave there empty-handed. No matter what you decide, whether you decide there, you know what, I'm just going to be happy in the harvest field. That's good enough for me, God. He's going to be good. Well, good, here, here you go. This, I want to bless you before you go home. I want to give you something before you go home. He'll never send you away from those places. You'll go away with some revelation. You'll go away with something in you that's real from heaven. You'll be carrying something that you could carry the rest of your life that you will never get anywhere else except for there. Now, the better deal is we're going on here. We got some, we got some business to do. I'm not just going back to the harvest field. Next time I show up at that harvest field, I'm showing up as the owner. Right? That's really what she was saying. I am not going back there until I own it. Which means me and you are getting together since you own it. But this is what he told her. Are y'all okay still? Well, that was in verse 15 about bring your shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six things of barley and laid it on her. And then she went home, went back to Naomi. So, but then he said in verse 
somewhere, verse 12. She, when she said, I want you, I want a, this relationship, I want more of you, I want something beyond the harvest field, he said, well, he was saying, I'll do it. Yeah, I'm in. But he said, but there's, it's true, I'm a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. A relative closer. In other words, Ruth and good Christian people who have these encounters in dark places, and come away with great revelation. There's still something in your life. I can promise you, everybody in this room, you have something in your life that stands between you and him and that place that he wants to take you. That's the truth. Just because you went through a threshing floor, suddenly you are not the greatest Christian in the world like you may think. Once you get over the beating of it. <laughs> it took me some few months to get over that beating of that I took in that threshing floor. In fact, God had to speak to me one day. This is how he spoke to me one day. This was a few months down the road from my big encounter with the Lord. I was a whipped dog. When I thought about myself, you know what I saw? I saw a piece of wood that had been in a fire. It had burned but didn't burn up. and It was just black and scaly. And that's how I saw myself. Because I felt burnt down by God and by everything else. But I was going on with him. In fact, I said, I'm going to know you. I may know you. I may be burnt up and cooked. I may be worthless. You know, because that's how I felt. I was remembering, now I can remember this just like it was yesterday. I was in the lobby of the building I worked in. They, you know, the, the elevator lobby had all these mirrors on, as walls. And I was walking by and I noticed myself with my head down. And I heard the Lord say, lift your head up. Lift your head up. And in that moment, I knew God did something in my heart. He got me. He did something in me. He lifted my head. The Bible says the glory and lift of our heads, that he'll, he'll do something for you. He will bring life back in you. He, suddenly, I didn't see myself as that old worthless thing no more that was just burned up and messed up and didn't know God and, you know, spent five years of my Christian life as a waste. None of it. All that shifted in me. And see, that's really what God wants to do for people. Just lift your head up. You're not a failure. You're not a disappointment. I'm not, I'm not rejected you. This was not about rejection. It was about love. It was about bringing you into something. But you had to go through this to get into it. But don't think bad about yourself. Don't think you're a loser. You're not. Even if you did it all wrong, you're not a loser. Anyways, are y'all okay? So, back to, to the city gate now. I got to get done here. It says, Boaz went up, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative, this is the other person. That's the thing. This is, this is hilarious, I think. It was hilarious to me when I saw it. A close relative of whom Bo had, has spoken. This is the person that's standing between you, the person or the thing or whatever it is that's standing between you and God. The thing that's hindering you in your spiritual life. The thing that's causing you to hold back. The thing that you're holding on to. Came by. This person happened to come by at the city gates. Now remember this. City gates in the Bible meant the place of government. 
Okay, that's what they meant. That's where the government was, you know, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The government of hell is what he was saying. The council of hell will not beat us. And there is a council. There is a government of, of Satan. But there's also a government of God. And I think that's probably what these kids are going to bring to us. Because I don't think we have a revelation on that yet. We have understanding on it. But I think there's a, it's going to take the government of God to get us in to everything God has for us. It's going to take the government of God to deal with the things in our life. That's, that's why I was at the city gates. It's going to take something greater than what we can muster in our own spiritual lives. It's going to take a revelation of God's government, which y'all know what that is, right? It's the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. It says in uh, Isaiah 9-6, the government will rest upon Christ's shoulders. Uh, it says in Mark 1, 9-11, it says the Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus' shoulders. The Holy Spirit, I just got to say this, the Holy Spirit is God's governor in the earth. Jesus is on the throne of God. He's not here. He's up there. The Father is up there. But he sent the Holy Spirit as his governor, as his representative, to be his government here. That's the Holy Spirit. He's the governor. And so God's going to give us a revelation of the Holy Spirit that we don't have yet, I believe. And we have, a lot of people have a great revelation on the Holy Spirit, but I think there's more. It's about the government. And I think this is what they were trying to tell us in this book about the government that's going to take the government. So he said, are y'all okay? That's what he said, are y'all okay? <laughs> so this close rel relative came by and Boaz said, come aside, friend, sit down here. So he came and sat down. Come aside here, friend, and sat down. But you know what? That's a bad translation right there. It doesn't say that if you read it like if you were a, a Hebrew and could read Hebrew. You know what you would read? This is, what it, this is exactly how it would read. Hey, you, come over here and sit down. That's the way it reads. Hey, you. Hey, you. It's interesting. This person has no name. Hey, you has no name. Everybody else in the book of Ruth, Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, Elimelech, her old husband, even the two boys that died and went, you know, just died off on them. All of them had names. All the main players had names so we could identify them. But this person, who's a very major player, he's the person standing between Ruth and her destiny. He has no name. He's just, oh, hey, you. Who's old, hey, you? Who is old, hey, you? In your life. Because there's an old, hey, you in everybody's life. You know, Boaz sort of had a country thing on him. Hey, you. Come over here. So, old, hey, you came over there. Thinking, hey, you know, I'm in the government. We need to do some stuff here. You know what Arthur Burke told me what his hey you was one time? This is what he said. You know what my hey you is? My hey you is I've been walking with the Lord for 80 years. That's my hey you. I could depend on that. 80 years of experience. I could depend on knowing Smith Wigglesworth. I could depend on this list of things to how God used him. That could be my hey you. That's what he said. 
you know, everybody's got to hate you, right? Some, you know, some of them is not 80 years in the Lord. Most of us are not, right? Hey, you. And in verse 2 it says, He took ten men of the elders. So there's your ten elders of the city. And said, sit down here. So they sat down. So there's your twelve people. The ten elders, Boaz and hey, you. There's your government of God, right? <laughs> then he said to hey, you. Verse 3. Naomi has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. That was her husband who passed on. God bless him. And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. Notice he said, My people, not your people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it, and I'm next after you. So in, the, in Israel, you know, this was the way the things worked, the laws of the land. You know, everybody was, God made sure everybody was taken care of. Okay, if a woman was married to a man and he had brothers and the man died, the brother had to become a husband to the woman to bear children for the brother who died. That was just the way God designed it. So this is what's going on here. And the property and all that, all that was all tied up in these things that the Lord wanted to make sure people, everybody was treated right and everybody had an inheritance and people who didn't get to get their inheritance, he wanted to make sure somebody else made sure that there was an offspring raised up to get that inheritance. It was really an awesome thing, but it became sort of bad. So he said all this, and then, oh, hey, you said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take the land. I'll buy the land. I got the money. I'll buy it. That's what he said. Okay? But then Boaz said this. Well, listen, on the day you buy that, that piece of field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy... Really, you've got to take Ruth. You're going to have to get Ruth in this deal. Because Ruth is part of the deal. See, you, buddy, all you want is what they have. You don't really want a relationship with them. You just, you're just out for yourself. You, you want something from them, but you don't want them. You know what I'm talking about? That's what was really he was saying to them. You want, you want their stuff. You're willing to buy their stuff, but you're not willing to care about them. You're not willing to have a relationship with them. And, and Boaz was saying, Ruth goes with the deal. In other words, you're going to have to marry Ruth, and you're going to have to bear children with Ruth. That's, that's, that's the law. That's the law of the land. You've got to do that. And so that seems kind of weird to us. We would never think that way, right? Uh, and then this is what he said. I can't do it for myself. Least I ruin my own inheritance. Least I ruin my own thing. I'm just not going to ruin my own thing. Now, that's really the thing in us that stands in our way. Is God wants something more from us, but there's something standing in our way. It's called, hey, you. And that thing, and, and we feel like it's going to ruin our, what we want. It's going to take away from... Are y'all following this? You see what I'm saying? There's always this thing in us. If I, if I really give myself to the Lord, I'm going to have to give this up, give that up. He's going to make me do this. He's going to want that. I mean, I'm going to have to act this way. That is the thing. Whatever that thing is that makes you think that way, believe that way. Are y'all following that? 
Because we all have that thing. Let me tell you, I, I was saying, Lord, I know exactly what my hey you is in my life. One of them at least. I probably got several. You know, is I had this terrible time in my life. Okay? For five years, I had ter- a terrible time in my life. And I couldn't reconcile that terrible time. And I kept saying, Lord, I, you've got to explain that to me. You've got to help me with this. You've got to help me figure this out. And he would never talk to me about it. Never. He would never tell me anything. Lord, why did this building fall in? He would never talk to me. He would never say, why, why did this young woman die, Lord? Why was this man murdered, Lord? Why did this person get killed? We prayed for him. Why weren't they healed? And I went over that a hundred million times in my mind trying to understand what happened, Lord. What happened? And I realized one day, out of the blue, I don't know how, but one day, I know how, I was reading the Scripture where Paul said, this is what Paul said. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, he said, I'm just a, I lay a foundation, but everybody be there to be, be careful what you build on this foundation. Foundation being Christ. Because whatever you build on it, wood, hay, and stubble, precious jewels, it's going through the fire. It's going through the fire. And it's, the fire is going to test it. The fire is going to say, this was precious or this was worthless. Because at the end, it's either going to be there or it's not going to be there. And I don't know how that helped me. But all of a sudden I read that and thought, oh, okay, I'm good. I, I, in my heart, I was good. In my heart, I was free from having to understand it. Because I knew that God's seasons, Jesus says this in Mark 9, everything's going to be seasoned with fire. Everything. Everything's going to be seasoned with fire. In your life, everything. And some things are going to make it through the fire, and some's not. And the things that don't make it, well, they were not, they were wood, hay, and stubble, according to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. Are y'all following that? That's kind of a hard thought, but it really is what the cross is. It's like a revelation of the cross that we don't really embrace, or it's a, another revelation. You know, in Luke 24, the men couldn't see Jesus until Jesus broke the bread, and it says their eyes were open. That's, that's what it says. And that I believe this with all my heart. I believe what that broken bread was the broken body of Jesus. And when those men really saw the cross for what it really is, their eyes were open to see Jesus for who He really is. And for me, I couldn't let go of the past in my heart. I just couldn't let go of it. I couldn't let go of it until that happened to me. And when I, when I was able to see the cross, the broken body, and the fire that God will bring into our lives of what we build on this foundation, this precious foundation that God has given us, And whatever survives the fire, then we can know we can be secure in it. 
we can know. We can move on. No matter whether we can explain the fire or whatever. We, we, you know, I don't think that really hit nobody, but it really made a lot of sense to me. It set me free when I saw all that. All of a sudden, I just felt peace in my heart that I hadn't felt for years. I felt reconciled in my heart. I felt my past was reconciled. Selling my hey you five years was no longer a part of my life. It wasn't holding me back. It wasn't hindering me anymore. And so, you know, it can be legalism, I think, is probably what literally it means in the story is, is, is legalism. Because legalism or religion and all that, that's not going to, that's going to hinder you. But I think the government of God, when the government of God really starts coming in your life, it's going to force, it's going to force hey you. It's going to force hey you's hand in your life. And it's going to go one way or the other for you. And I'm just going to read this last part, verse 13 of chapter So, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. That's, the, that's where God wants the revelation of the bride of Christ that we don't have by and large. And he went into her, you know what that means? The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Isn't that awesome? So there was this intimacy that she had with the Lord right then that she did not have in the field, that she did not have at the threshing floor, that she did not have at the city gates. But once she went through that, she stepped into a deeper level of intimacy with the Lord. And there was a fruit that came out of her life based on that. And... The women said to Naomi, this is crazy. The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has left you this day with a close relative. You'd think he'd be talking to Ruth about this. And may his name be famous in Israel, which he became real famous, right? Obed. David, King David's granddad. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. A restorer of life. That's what God is going to do for Israel with the body of Christ. With the body of Christ that comes into this intimacy with the Lord. It's going to cause something to happen, I believe. I'm just telling you what I believe. I could be wrong about this. I don't really know a lot about all that, but I believe this is what it's saying. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has born him, born this baby. Then, this is crazy. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and began to nurse the baby. That's what it says. It doesn't say Ruth nursed him. It says, oh, wore out Grandma Bitter Naomi. I don't know how old she was. And I don't know how all that stuff works. But that's what it says. <laughs> it just says that she was the nurse. She did that. And listen. You think, well, she was a nursemaid to it. Go read the Hebrew. It does not say that. It uses this other word that babies, what babies do. That's what it says. It says the baby latched itself onto her breast and pulled milk out of her. That's what it says. Now, this old woman, that's miraculous. And I believe the big picture, that's Israel. I believe Israel is going to come alive one day. Because of us Gentiles having this intimacy with Boaz, Christ, and it's going to cause this fruit to come forth. And Obed means servant. It means that we are going to come to a place where we're going to bear something. The fruit will be something that will serve God's purposes 
in the earth. God's purposes, not our purposes. His, he has a purpose in the earth. Some big picture that we, the people who really come into this intimacy, which I'm saying we, I'm in. I'm, I'm saying, I gotta get in. I, done, I ain't going too far, Lord. I didn't take too many beatings not to get in on this part. Somehow I gotta get in. I gotta go all the way. It's too late. You know? That's the way I feel about my life. It's too late. I've already thrown everything to the wind. I've already given up too much. I gotta go all the way now. I gotta finish this, the race. I gotta finish it. I pray you have that same heart that you say, I'm gonna finish this thing. And maybe, maybe I'll watch that generation do it. But if I'm watching them, I'm just going to be with them. I'll just get in on it. Right? And, the, and it, listen, it says, She nursed him, and the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There's a son born to Naomi. Isn't this amazing here? This is supernatural. This is mystical. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So that's what the Lord wants to do, I think, in people's lives. Is I think he wants to bring us into intimacy with him. you know. And I think he wants to help us to get through places we're at. Places you know, where we're stuck. Places where there's something standing between us and him. Is he understands that. He sees that. He's... That's a normal process. All he's asking you to do is to keep saying yes. Just to keep saying, that's all he's asking you to do is just keep saying yes. Get up in the morning, everything's falling apart. Yes, Lord. <laughs> oh, God, you're not answering my prayer. But anyway, Lord, I still love you. You're still good. I'm still sticking with you somehow. You're going to have to help me. Just keep saying yes to the Lord. I think that's, that's all I, I've been doing in my life. I'm trying to do every, all the time. Like, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. When Becky fusses at me, yes, Lord. <laughs> One of my friends would be, yes, Lord. When I say something and somebody calls me, I'm like, yes, Lord. Just yes, 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 Lord. No devil, no devil, no devil. <laughs> Let me pray for you right quick. Are y'all okay? Lord, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lord, this is so beyond us, Lord. All this is, Lord, you're beyond us. Lord, heal people in this room right now. Lord, heal people who are broken. Just heal them. Heal people who are stuck. Who can't get over what happened to them, Lord. Who can't get over their losses. I just ask you to heal them. I ask you to reveal yourself to them. Open their eyes to see you, Lord. That's, that's what heals us. Heal the, the ones who've lost people they loved. And this, they're just stuck there. They just can't get away from it. Lord, heal the ones who've lost their ministries or lost their business, lost all their money, lost all their possessions, lost their marriage lost children, lost dreams, Lord. I just, I'm asking you to, to do the supernatural in them right now. Just what Louis said earlier, the supernatural, where you raise the dead, Lord. Some of us need to be raised spiritually this morning to a new life and to a new joy and to a new peace, Lord, and something new. And I just pray you'd do that. I pray for those who find themselves in that quandary of the that dark place, that threshing floor place, that somehow that they would get it, 
They'd see it, Lord. They would get it. They would grab hold of something there. And they would walk away from there with an exchange in their heart, Lord. Lord, I pray you'd help people identify the hey you in their life. Every one of us, Lord, help us to identify that thing that's hindering us, that's keeping us, that's holding us back. The thing that's confounding us. The thing we can't let go of, Lord. Lord, whether it's something that happened or if it's sin or whatever it is, that one thing, Lord, you would show us and you would deliver us from it today, Lord. Lord, that you would do a miracle today. You'd do a miracle. Lord, we want to enter into all that you have for us. We want to be those people who say, our goal, our dream is to really be close to you and know your heart, to be able to put our head on your breast like John did in the New Testament and hear your heart. It would be that close to you. It would be so close to you, you could entrust things to us like you did with John. You, like you did your mother. You said, John, my, your mother, mother, your son, that you entrusted the most precious natural relationship you had, Lord, with, with John, Lord. I pray that we could become those kind of people that you could entrust your stuff with, Lord. Because you trust us, because we have put our heads on your breast and heard your heart and accepted your heart. And our heartbeat would get in rhythm with your heartbeat. And they would beat the same and be the same. Lord, I pray that for everybody in this room, Lord. Just ask you in the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, we continue this morning. Why don't we all stand up and um, we can get ministry team people up here. I still feel like the Lord is going after that parched and dry thing where you feel like that all this is tying together this morning. That's you and you want prayer to come on up. The Lord knows just what to do. But we just have to release what's in the way between us and Him. So if you would just come on up and get prayer. We want to pray for the sick this morning. I do feel like there's people that need to respond to this word. So if you would just come and get prayer, that would be, I think it would be beneficial to you. And we want to pray for the sick this morning. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover is what the word said. Recover. Really believe in that this morning for recovery. Recovery this morning. And um, otherwise, we want to bless you and tell you to have a good week. Enjoy fellowship, hanging out. We love you guys, Lord. We just say, Lord, bless this congregation of people this week, Lord. Speak, heal, deliver, Lord. Just be carried out in the grace of God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.